Good morning, Sterling. I hope you're doing really well. Um, to everybody who's joining us online, we're really sorry about the technical difficulties. I believe the live stream started a little bit late, so we really do apologize uh, for that. But I hope you're all doing well. And if you've been tracking along with our recent sermon series, you'll know that we've been going through uh, the book of Mark and we've been looking very intently at who this person of Jesus is. And so we're going to be carrying on in that series because Jesus seems to rock up out of nowhere and he begins teaching about this kingdom of God. And we learned earlier on that Jesus starts off explicitly teaching about this kingdom of God. He speaks very clearly about what the kingdom of God is and what it isn't. But people are interested in the wrong things. Sorry, Mark, if you don't mind uh, that door there, there's a little bit of glare destroying my eyes. Thank you. And so he starts off teaching really clearly about what the kingdom of God is, and then he uh, switches to parables because people get the wrong idea. So people begin following Jesus because they want to see him uh, casting demons out of people. They want to see him healing the sick, and they want to see Jesus leaving the Pharisees speechless for the first time in about 400 years. And so they're all really enjoying this, but they are simply coming to Jesus to enjoy the show. They are not coming to Jesus and submitting their life to him as the Son of God and as the Messiah that God has sent. He then begins to change, and he, he changes to uh, doing things for people to show them who he is and what sort of authority he carries. And when he begins doing these things, it is frightening and yet comforting to us at the same time. So last week we saw that Jesus is Lord over nature and he's Lord over all the elements that we see around us because simply by declaring a small little phrase, peace be still, an entire windstorm that would have prematurely ended the disciples' lives is instantly made calm. Earlier this year, we saw that Jesus is also Lord over Satan. We saw that he goes across the Sea of Galilee and he sets a demoniac free. So he takes somebody who was Satan's most powerful weapon and he turns him into an instrument to declare God's glory and goodness in an area 10 cities wide. But I won't be preaching on that today because we actually preached on that earlier this year on the 28th of March. So if you'd like to go and check that out, you are more than welcome to do so. And so for today, I'm going to be going into the second half of Mark chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles with you, and I hope that you do, you can turn to Mark chapter 5, verse 21 to 43. And while you're turning there, I want to remind you of a very interesting phrase that Joe pointed out last week in Mark chapter 4, verse 41. This is a phrase that is put into Mark's gospel on purpose because he wants you to ponder this question of who Jesus is. So Mark chapter 4, verse 41 says, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And what you're going to find from today's passage is that a lot more than just the wind and the sea obey Jesus. So, Mark chapter 5, verse 21 to 43. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a crowd, a great crowd, followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians. And had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. 
She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. My first point for today is that there are two formidable foes for us, and those are the foes of disease and death. And what we see is that Jesus confronts uh, these foes of disease and death in this passage. But you need to know that sickness and death are no respecter of persons. What you're going to find in this passage is that we have two people from very different walks of life. Both financially and socially, these people come from opposite sides of the spectrum, which is why if we look at the woman, she has no money left. She has spent all of her money on the doctors, and nothing has actually worked. She finds out that at the end of these 12 years, she's suffering worse than when she first began. And so nobody really would have known her either, because according to Jewish culture, because of her disease, she was basically supposed to be banished from being around people. She was not supposed to be in a crowd of people. She was not allowed to go to the temple. And so nobody really would have known her because she's been missing for 12 years. If you compare that to Jairus, he would have been extremely well off financially. We can see that from two things. Firstly, he's the ruler or the owner of a synagogue. And secondly, when he gets to his house, there's already a whole crowd full of people gathered to mourn the loss of his daughter. And so he would have been a well-known person. He would have been well-respected by everybody around him, and they probably all knew his name, and they probably all knew his daughter's name as well. You'll notice also that when he goes to Jesus and he asks Jesus, please come back to my house, none of the crowd complains. They say, we'll go with you. Let's go. But sickness and death are no respecter of persons, and that's what we see in this text, is that even for somebody like Jairus, who's well-loved, well-respected, and who even owns a synagogue, it does not exempt him from the fact that sickness and death always seem to find their way into every person's house eventually. And I think for every single one of us, we don't have to think too hard to, to think of people that we know and love who've been really affected by the sickness and death. There are two terrible things that exist in this world, but I need to point out to you this morning that the reason why they are here to begin with is because of our sin and our open rebellion against God. 
In the Garden of Eden, when we rebelled against God and we didn't do what he had asked us to do, we invited these things in. Just as it tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it says that through our sin, death entered the world. And so as we read passages like this, and we really, you know, it brings memories to mind of people that we love, who we know have suffered drastically, we need to make sure that if we hate sickness and death, we hate the cause of it, and that is sin. See, we can't be like immature children who absolutely hate getting smacks, but they don't hate the deeds that caused those well-deserved smacks. We need to place the blame rightly where it belongs. I see parents nodding in that direction. <laughs> and we can see the effects of the sin all around us, and it gives us quite a helpless feel. We feel like there's not much that we can do in the face of the sickness and death. And that's what we see in this text today as well, is that this lady had suffered for 12 years, which is the same amount of time that Jairus' daughter had actually been alive. And she had tried everything to get healed. She hadn't sat by idly doing absolutely nothing. For those 12 years, she would have worked hard. We're told that she went to physicians, which is more than one, and she tried everything she could to get this healing, but to no avail. And we see with, with Jairus as well, he's equally helpless in the situation. Regardless of the fact that he has got all the social ties he would need, he's got all the money that he could possibly want, all of those things do not answer his questions and they do not heal his daughter. And so he finds himself in a really desperate state here where he is looking at his own 12-year-old daughter and he's saying, if nothing drastic happens really soon, she is going to die. And that leads me to my second point this morning. And that is that we see great faith despite the severity of their circumstances. These two people in this passage display incredible faith. And it's quite easy to miss. And we have to be careful here as well because we don't want to glorify them. It's going to be glorifying to God because we know that God is the one who apportions faith to each person. That is what we're told in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, is that God assigns faith to people. And I want to guard you against this thought as well that these two people only reach out to Jesus out of pure desperation. That is not at all the case. I don't believe for a second that that is what is happening here. But even if they did go to Jesus out of desperation, what you need to see is that they would never have gone to Jesus normally, and they only would have gone to Jesus if they really and truly did believe that he was able to drastically change their life and their situation. And so at first reading, you may miss this incredible faith that these two individuals have. So let's just look at it in a bit more detail. And you'll see that it's closely linked to what we learned last week, that a strong faith can drive out fear, and that the reverse is true as well, that a weak faith can be driven out by fear. So look first at this woman's case. She has got incredibly strong faith. She has suffered for 12 years. 12 years is a really, really long time. 12 years is as long as your schooling career, provided you passed first time every grade. It's about as long as they've been working on Ganubi Main Road for. It's pretty much been happening forever. And I think for most of us here, if we've been suffering with anything for about 12 years, we would reach a point where we just accept it. We would just say, this is our lot in life and we wouldn't keep fighting for this healing, but not this lady. This lady goes and she, she works hard in those 12 years to try and overcome the sickness, and that still doesn't work. And she then hears about Jesus, 
And you can see that there is this spark in her, that this faith in this woman draws her straight to Christ. And so she goes and she sees a crowd busy following Jesus. And again, this should stop her. Because remember, according to Jewish culture, she's not allowed to be around people. She's certainly not allowed to be around a teacher, and she's not allowed to be in the middle of a crowd full of people. But it doesn't stop her. Look at her faith. In uh, verse 28, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. That is incredible faith. And when Jesus calls out and says, who touched my garments? You don't see her becoming Houdini and performing a quick disappearing act through the middle of the crowd, which would have been far easier. She is trembling. She is afraid because she doesn't know what's about to happen next. But she comes forward to Jesus and she owns it. She says, I was the one who touched your garments. And she is rewarded for her faith in Christ. She displays incredible faith in a really difficult situation. And what about Jairus? See, the actions of Jairus show us that this man also had an incredible faith in Jesus as well. And the reason why is because Jairus was the ruler or the owner of a synagogue. And what that means for us is either A, very high possibility of this, that Jairus himself was actually a Pharisee. Or option B, all of Jairus' close friends and his closest colleagues would have been Pharisees. And the reason why that's important is because Pharisees hated Jesus. Because uh, Jairus was the owner of a synagogue, all of these people would have been coming to his uh, synagogue, all the Pharisees. And so they would have been there, they would have been friends with Jairus, and they would have been uh, telling people how amazing they were at his synagogue. And Jesus came against them in full force. So what we see is earlier on in the Gospel of Mark, uh, Jesus goes and he heals a man's withered hand. And it's on a Sabbath, and the Pharisees hate this. So in Mark chapter 3, verse 6, it says, The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. So this group that Jairus is either part of or who he's very closely associated with wants to actually kill Jesus. So you have to see that it is highly unusual that Jairus chooses to go to Jesus at this moment. It is very strange. And you might also think that because he is the owner of a synagogue, that he might think that he's a few notches up on the people around him. You might think that there's a bit of pride in Jairus. But if you look at the way that he responds, you see that there is no sense of pride found in this man. When he sees Jesus, he runs up to him and his face hits the dirt. It says that he falls at the feet of Jesus. And he earnestly implores him. He begs him. He says, please, will you come back? And will you heal my daughter? You notice also that Jairus at no point doubts the capabilities of Christ. There is no question of, Lord, if you are able to, will you please heal my daughter? He goes and he says, I know that you are able to. He says, if you will just come, even though my daughter is at death's door, if you will just lay your hands on her, she will be made completely well. That is proper faith being displayed in Jairus. That is why it says in, in verse 23, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. There is no question of if you are able to. And the reason why that is spectacular is because you need to know that Jairus is not one of the disciples. You see, the disciples had a front row seat. They would have seen Jesus doing all of these amazing things, but not Jairus. You see, Jairus was not in the boat 
when Jesus calmed the storm and they were able to see him utter a phrase and all of a sudden nature obeys. Jairus was not on the other side of Galilee when Jesus sets this demoniac free. And so he just sees Jesus and faith in Jairus draws him straight to Christ. And he goes and he says, you are able to heal my daughter. He displays incredible faith in a really difficult situation. And I'm sure as we all know, when it rains, it pours. See, Jairus was going well. You see, he had this miracle-working teacher following him on his way to his house to go and heal his daughter. And all of a sudden, disaster struck. Because a poor and unclean woman waylays Jesus, slows him down. So much so that messengers come from his house and they say to him, Jairus, we are really sorry, but the window of opportunity is now closed. Your daughter is dead. It's done. It's over. How that news must have impacted a father of a 12-year-old girl. And yet, Jesus goes, and in this moment where Jairus probably was having second thoughts about what was really going on, Jesus goes and affirms this man's faith. And there he goes, and he says to him uh, in verse 36, do not fear, only believe. You see, what is death to the Lord of life? Jesus pushes on ahead. He is not deterred by the fact that this girl has died. He knows that he has the power to go and raise that little girl. He is an amazing savior. And my third and final point for today is that Christ is Lord over all. We saw last week that Christ is Lord over all creation and that by him uttering this short little phrase, peace be still, all of nature rushes to go and obey the voice of Christ. And we saw earlier this year that he is Lord over Satan, which is why when a person goes and confronts Jesus, who is possessed by thousands of demons, He falls at the feet of Jesus and he starts begging for mercy. He is Lord over Satan. And now from this week, what we see is that Jesus is Lord over disease and he is Lord over death. He is truly Lord over all. And that is why this woman goes and she approaches Jesus in faith and she benefits amazingly from it uh, that day. And I need to clarify very quickly because I don't want to be taken out of context on this point. When it comes to healing, Jesus Christ can and still does heal people today. And we do need to approach Christ in faith that he is able to do so, just like Jairus and just like this woman do. But ultimately, whether he chooses to heal or not is not based on us. It is based on him. And what that means is that you cannot manipulate God according to your faith. As much as you really want people to uh, be healed or you want them to be better, You can't tell somebody else, man, if you would just have enough faith, then that person will be healed. And the reason why I say that is because the clear teaching of Scripture is that that is not the case. If we look at Paul with his thorn in the flesh, he cries out to God three times. And what God responds with is, my grace is sufficient for you. And church, what you can count on, what you can rely on is that every single morning, Christ's grace for you will be sufficient to see you through those storms. Paul would have had more than enough faith if it was solely dependent on that. Paul also had somebody who was like a son to him, and his name was Timothy. And Timothy, we are told, had frequent stomach ailments. And so it is not only based on that, but let that never stop you from approaching God's throne of grace, full of faith, and laying all of your prayers and your petitions before him. We are encouraged to do this. That's why it says in James chapter 5, verse 14, uh, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. 
And so as a Christian, what you are to do is you are to take all earthly suffering and you are to view it from a heavenly perspective, from an eternal perspective. What is going to happen in 200 years' time? And somebody who's really helped me to understand this is our sister in Christ, Joni Erickson Tata, who at the age of 17, unfortunately, dived into a very shallow body of water and she ended up becoming a quadriplegic, paralyzed from the shoulders down, confined to her wheelchair for the rest of her life, this is what she has to say. I hope in some way that I can take my wheelchair to heaven. With my new glorified body, I will stand up on resurrected legs and I will be next to the Lord Jesus. And I will feel those nail prints in his hands. And I will say, thank you, Jesus. He will know I mean it because he will recognize me from the inner sanctum of sharing in the fellowship of his sufferings. He will see that I was one who identified with him in the sharing of his sufferings. So my gratitude will not be hollow. And then I will say, Lord Jesus, do you see that wheelchair over there? Well, you were right. When you put me in it, it was a lot of trouble. But the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. I do not think that I ever would have known the glory of your grace if it had not been for the weakness of that wheelchair. So thank you, Lord Jesus, for that. And now, if you like, you can send that thing off to hell. (laughs) Church, one day there will be no more paralysis. One day there will be no more sickness and there will be no more death. And our, our Lord has conquered those things. He is truly Lord over all. And what we see happening in this passage today is a foretaste of our eternal reality where Christ will have submitted all things completely under him and he will draw us to himself and will never be able to be separated from the love of Christ. And as much as Jesus is Lord over all, it's quite easy to see his divinity from a passage like this. We can see him completely taking authority in every situation in this passage. But do you notice his humanity the humility and the lowliness, the meekness of Christ in this passage. What happens here is that he is on his way to go and lay hands on Jairus' daughter, but he doesn't show favoritism towards Jairus because he is financially more stable. He doesn't show favoritism because the crowd loves Jairus and knows his name and knows his daughter's name. He stops and he speaks to this woman who has just been healed. And it's a beautiful moment in Scripture because you can just about picture all the crowd trying to get Jesus to hurry up, go lay your hands on the person that we want to be healed. We don't care about this poor woman who we don't know. And Jesus will not be moved. He will not be deterred by the crowd, by Jairus, by the need that is existing somewhere else because he stops and he speaks to this woman who has just been healed. And what's really amazing to see is that many people came to hear Jesus speak from all different sides and they would hear him teaching about the kingdom. But very, very few are addressed in the way that Jesus addresses this woman. The way that he addresses her is he says, daughter, daughter. Do you know that that term is not used anywhere in scripture apart from somebody who is a believer, who is saved and adopted into the kingdom of God? And so this woman who must have had the biggest fright of her life the moment she heard those words, who touched my garments? (laughs) Immediately has her heart completely changed as she hears that she is daughter that she is adopted into the kingdom of God, that after 12 long years of suffering, year after year after year, unrelenting, she is completely healed, and she leaves with peace in her heart that only Jesus 
can give her. This is the power and the beauty of our Lord. And the story of Jairus is most certainly something that happened, but it is also an image of what God is currently doing in the world all around us today. He is raising spiritually dead people and he's breathing new life into him. And the beauty and the good news of what our God is doing in this world is not only firstly that he has the power to raise people from the dead spiritually, but also that he goes and he adopts them into his family. Which is why if you are hearing this message this morning, you will not hear man, woman, rise up to newness of life. You will hear son, daughter, rise up to newness of life. So great is our Lord's power in raising up and love. His love is also just as great, which is why as he raises you from your spiritual death, he also adopts you straight into his family forever. And what that means is that Christ has removed the sting of death. That one day believing husbands will see believing wives. One day believing parents will see believing children. It is amazingly good news for us. And death will not be able to part you from Christ. And death will not ever be able to part you from anybody who makes up the body of Christ. Because our Lord has conquered disease and death. And as I wrap up today, I'm aware that there may be some of you here this morning who have not yet tasted and seen how amazing it is to love and serve our Lord Jesus. You have not yet tasted and seen how amazing it is to have your sins completely taken away by Christ. I want to remind you of point number one. Death and sickness are no respecter of persons. And as much as many of you may think that you have 10, 20, 30, 40 years left, death can come in a moment. Will you see Christ's love for you this morning? Will you see that he is not just commanding something, although he is commanding you to repent? He's The call is going out to you this morning to take up your cross, to deny yourself and to trust in the only one who has conquered death. He is the one who has lived the perfect life that you and I could not live. And he died and he suffered on that cross in your place so that you wouldn't have to. Will you see his love for you this morning and will you respond in faith? It's not enough for you to just be challenged or to think that this is just interesting to hear. You need to respond in faith to Christ. And for those of you who do already know the joy of being a Christian, would you be vocal about it? Would you speak to your friends and family about what Christ has done for you in your life? And would you make sure that you put your faith into action, that you do not hide the light of the world under the basket of comfort, which is so easy for us to do? Would you break those comfort zones and would you go out and would you speak about what Christ has done for you? What we see from our story today is that this woman who is healed in the passage makes public declaration of the mercies that she has received from God. Would you do the same? Would you speak to your friends, your family members, your colleagues about what Christ has done for you? And will you call upon the Lord persistently to awaken dead souls? We've got a great opportunity, which is why it's decorated so amazingly today. You can pray for Bolt. Pray that every single one of those children who walk onto this venue would be impacted by God. Pray that God would awaken their souls and pray that God would uh, draw them powerfully to himself. And the last image that I want to leave you with this morning is the image of Jairus' household before the Lord gets there. Just think about how filled with sorrow and heartache that household must have been as Jairus realizes that his worst nightmares have finally come true and that his little 12-year-old daughter is now dead on her bed. And then picture afterwards as Jesus leaves that household victoriously. How much joy there must have been in those parents' uh, hearts as they realized that Christ has been victorious. 
that he has conquered death and that their little daughter lives because of him. The reality of the matter is that that daughter probably only lived for another 60 or 70 years if she was lucky in those times. But for each one of you who have called upon the name of the Lord, who have had your souls regenerated, you will be made spiritually alive forever. Not just 60 or 70 years, millions of years. You will be joined to the Lord. You will be joined to his love and you will never ever be able to be separated from him or from anybody else who is part of the body of Christ. And because of that, we have every reason to rejoice as we respond this morning. So as the worship team comes up, I just want to wrap up uh, in prayer. Lord, I thank you so much that you are the Lord of life. Lord, I thank you that sickness and disease and death are, uh, that you will conquer them. Lord, I thank you for your power in, in raising Jairus' daughter, and I thank you that this is a foretaste of things to come. Lord, I thank you for uh, the way that you uh, carry yourself, Lord. We thank you for the way that you show that anybody can come to you. Lord, and I pray for those who are in the building this morning who have not yet put their faith and their trust in you. Lord, would they see that you are such a good God and that you love them with an undying love. And so, Lord, as we go into a time of response now, I, I really do pray that you would remind us that we have far more reason to rejoice and to respond in wonder, amazement, and awe at everything that you have done for us. Lord, you have not just raised us for another hundred years. You have raised us for all eternity to be joined to your love and to never be lost. And we thank you for that, Lord. We pray that you would help us to respond and to see you as you really are this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Well then, we have just uh, sung this wonderful song. We are so encouraged this morning. We sang this song and we heard the teaching from, uh, from the book of Mark. How can we be discouraged? <laughs> How can we be downcast? How can we walk around with our heads down, Lord, and because of the circumstances we find ourselves in? Oh, Lord, we've been lifted up this morning. You've poured your love on us, Lord. You chose to pour your love on us, not your wrath, not your wrath for your own name's sake. You chose not to pour your wrath on us. We heard about this woman, Lord, who in faith came and just touched the hem of your garment. And we heard about the ruler of the synagogue that believed <laughs> He believed, Lord, that you could heal his daughter. Oh, what a wonderful story. As we go now this morning, Lord, our prayer would be that uh, those stories and the song uh, that we've just sung are imprinted in our mind. And when trouble comes, we can remember about the woman who was sick and the, the father whose daughter died. And how you died on the old rugged cross and you poured your love on us. Thank you, Jesus. We praise and worship your holy and most wonderful name. Amen. So be encouraged. <laughs> I've been encouraged. Unfortunately, we don't have uh, coffee outside. Yeah, disaster. But things are getting better. Numbers are getting bit greater. Soon we'll be jam-packed again. And uh, thank you for coming. We'll see you next week as well. Thank you, Brass. Thank you, Byron. Thank you for the worship team. Go with God's favor this morning. <laughs>